Welcome to Podcast Impact, where we interview and share stories of people who are making a difference in Morgan County. Our host is Ed Kamanowski, Executive Director of CFMC, and he's talking with people who have become philanthropic leaders and are working with others to improve their communities. Here's a chance to learn how you can make an impact, too. All right. Well, good afternoon. Uh, I really uh, appreciate the chance to be in the uh, Morgan County Jail. Not many people say that. Uh, so you appreciate being. I, in the Morgan I, I, I do. I do because of the company I keep right now. So uh, I'm uh, I'm happy to be with uh, Rich Myers, who's uh, the sheriff, uh, and then Major Dave Rogers, who is also the jail commander. And I tease you a little bit, Dave, that I'll probably forget the jail commander side of it. But you know, it's important to our conversation today. And uh, I really do appreciate the time. I appreciate what you guys do and everybody on the force does. Um, I think sometimes it's an overlooked aspect of our community. And so I'm, I'm glad to be here today. So thanks for your time. Yeah, and thank you for giving us the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that uh, we had talked about in advance of this um, was not so much focusing on what the sheriff's department does externally, right. uh, but really what's happening within the, the jail. And, and that's a population that is a community we drive past the bypass. We don't really know what's going on. You know, you can kind of see small, narrow windows and, and sometimes it's overlooked. And I think, uh, as a community, we have to have an honest conversation about, um, our community and the values and some of the folks who happen to be here and why they're here. And, um, I'm going to try and let you all, um, talk as much as possible, but you mentioned, I, I kind of do a prison outreach program and, and I assert that, the vast majority I work with mostly men and the vast majority of those guys are in jail. And in this case, they're in prison because they made a lot of really bad life choices. You know, it's not that they just had some bad life. They really made some bad choices. Um, can they be uh, helped to make different life choices? Absolutely. And I'm always, the takeaway I always get is uh, at the end of it, they kind of talk about what they took from the program and, and what that outcome happens to be. And you hear their life story and they weren't going to end up probably any other way, <clears throat> excuse me, other than making some tough choices because of their environment. And so I wanted to talk to you today about what you see, you know, in the population, not just say Morgan County within the jail that um, sometimes we think, well, there's just some, you know, they make a lot of bad choices and they just, they, you know, they should be punished for that. What do you think about the idea that, man, there's a lot of socioeconomic factors that come into play from a very young age that leads someone to a point where they end up in incarceration. And, and to start off our conversation, I think you were right. You were talking about community outside, but I think you're right in describing that there's a community here also. Right. Um, because as Major Rogers will attest to, uh, you have the same thing within the confinements here that you do in any community. You have to feed three times a day, 365 right. days a year. Right. You have the illnesses, you have the wounds, you have the needs, right. you have the lows you have the highs you have the death you have the births everything that happens on a community outside these walls happens inside here right and and has to be taken care of by these officers uh again 365 days a year seven days a week right plus uh adhere to all the laws regulations policies and procedures that the state of indiana prison correction center put out for us to do so it is amazing to me when I came in to see what they do and how they handle this in there in such an efficient manner. And right. How it's, how it's done, and what they can do to work with the men and women that are inside here. Um, programs that they have back here to enhance the lives and possibly build up the self-esteem of these people. So when they leave, they have some hope to grab onto because 
uh, without that, they're going to end up right back in here. Again. Right, right. It's it, they've got to have that that gold ball to reach for. You know that feeling of worth because I think everybody's going to have that feeling of worth when they come out. Is I'm I'm somebody better. I can right. better myself. I can do this. And and with your community correction or community outreach program that you talked about, we have those here and several others. I think uh, it's going to be a positive outreach to these. But what you were talking about too, the the social reasons to bring them in here and we kind of discussed this prior to going on the air that you're kind of the um uh, fall back to whatever you are right you know and it, if you go out to your from being in here and go back to your same old ways and the same old things that you've done you're going to come back with here again but um, major rogers can attest to you that there's many things that they do to try and break that right. cycle right absolutely yeah, absolutely and like like you said ed earlier you know i've, ne- I've never seen a five-year-old that wants to be a career criminal or wants to use drugs. And a lot of these are just, you know, that's all they knew. That's what they grew up with. That's all their, their moms and dads grew up with and, and their whole family. Right. Right. And, you know, not that we don't get, you know, professional people that's just had a failure in their life and it's caused them to go in that direction. Cause that happens as well, but not as common. And, you know, so when we're dealing with jail populations, uh, we're dealing not just with addiction, but also a lot of mental health issues. Absolutely. And, you know, it takes a lot of resources to do that. And it takes us a lot of time to tackle, you know, really what someone's underlying reason is for their, their addiction. And I mean, 90 to 95% of people that come into jail, it's addiction driven, whether it was addiction that got them in here, such as driving while intoxicated or being caught with drugs. Uh, Sometimes it's just a a theft or a fraud. But all of those crimes are linked back into the addiction because that's why they're committing the crime in the first place. Right. So corrections over the years, uh, I've been doing this 20 years. And when I came in 20 years ago, we didn't really do stuff like this. Right. Programming really wasn't a, a big thing at that right. time. And, uh, you know, with changes of walls and, and the longer sentences people get, uh, corrections has really became that of corrections. And, and not so much just incarcerating someone, but, you know, society wants us to make a, a person a productive member of society when they leave the facility. And, and honestly, that's in the benefit of, of our community. Of course. To, to no, do of course. That. So um, there's lots of aspects that go into this from substance abuse programming to mental health uh, programming to even medical care of the offenders, because most of them don't have resources outside the facilities uh, to even uh, get regular medical care. So that's one of the first steps that we take when an offender comes into the facility is we start filing uh, and getting insurance for those folks. Right. So when they do leave, they can continue services as we started in, inside the facility. Right. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's an interesting uh, process. I, I appreciate all that because I think sometimes if you again, if you're just driving by the bypass, no harm that you, you wouldn't want to you know stop in and you know take a tour of the jail. But Again, for Morgan County Leadership Academy, you're kind enough to allow us to to come in and, and spend some time with us. And it was a real eye opener, you know. And even though I was doing the other prison outreach things, um, that the care and ma- maintaining of folks that come in uh, that you do that it is more than just a punitive conversation. It's about setting someone on a self sustaining pathway. Can you talk about you know you mentioned a little bit how that evolution's kind of happened. Um, and then currently what you're doing right now that the community may not be aware of that's that you're doing. Absolutely. Um, one of our biggest programs that we run here at the, the jail, and we started about three years ago, was the Residential Substance Abuse Program, or we call it RSAP. Right. And that program 
it's kind of the beginning of tackling this problem. Okay. And so with that program, it was actually, we were sending inmates off to rehab centers and, and within 30 days they were coming right back because they had felt. Right. And so I talked to a lot of the offenders that came back and out, you know, just had candid conversations of why did you fail? And what was your purpose when you left here to go to that rehab center? And a lot of them, and they're pretty uh, vocal and, and honest at this point in time, uh, once they've failed and they've came back and they don't have any other options available. So they're, they're pretty open with you. And a lot of them was, you know, it's more comfortable than jail. Right. Uh, it, and I get to sleep in a regular bed and not a, a, a mattress issue to me. And so it was more of leaving the facility to go to a, a more comfortable environment to finish off their sentence. Right, absolutely. But with that came the lack of a lot of structure that they need and, and require because that's what they lack on the outside. Right. And, and so they usually struggle when they don't have that structure. So uh, most of them is actually glad to come back to jail to, to get that structure because they know they fell without it. Right. And it's at that point in time that, you know, we start these programs. And then, obviously, we don't want someone to rely on jail as being their structure right. uh, and, and, and being that part. But uh, it gives us a starting point to know that, you know, we have to build that structure and similar to the jail. Right, right. And build their life around that. So we start those processes to start adding uh, stability in their life, start showing them that they don't have to be an addict and that they can have a job. A lot of these folks don't know how to do a checkbook. Right. Uh, they don't know how, you know, they don't know how to fill out a job application. Right. They have skills, but they don't know what a resume is. Right. And so we start building those uh, relationships with them. We have providers that come in that start doing some of these life skill trainings with them and start building that structure and start showing them that they're, you know, someone has never seen a check. Right. And, and, or know how to open up a banking account. So when they get money. It's not saved. It's right. spent. That's spent on drugs. Right. And so we start with the basics. We work our way up. We start tackling some of the mental health issues. We have uh, two mental health therapists that come into the facility uh, on a daily basis that meets uh, with the offenders that require their services. And, you know, and, and we we really rely, once an inmate's getting to that end point, we, we've got them pretty stable. They're off the drugs. They right. understand some of these life skills. We've tackled their medical and mental health issues and got them stable on medications to help with those right. uh, items. Then we, we've got to find that outside resource so they don't go back to the, Absolutely. the environment that they went to. In the old days, the drug dealer was the one coming and picking them up right, and, and getting them re-addicted to the, the drug, and, and that's making them money, and, and so there's a benefit to do that. They'll even bond them out. right. So we start partnering up with our religious community. And that that plays a very large role. Uh, treatment's one thing, right? And, and but if we don't have this other piece of the pie, and, and put them back in that environment, it just doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we really release them on failure. So we we have great partnerships with with all of our religious uh, community in Morgan County, and they step up to the plate. They start seeing these offenders from the get go, right? Um, and some of them don't even push the religion side of things on right. because not everyone's ready for that, right? So, but they are good resources, they're community resources, and, and they really help us once the, the, the folks leave the jail, they have someone that is picking them up in the back that's not a drug dealer. Right. They've got someone that's helped them find housing. They've got a church to go to. Right. They've got, you know, programming through the church. Uh, we have the RU program 
for Baptist Tabernacle, and that's a, a big player in our uh, recovery right. process outside the facility. And, and we really do reach our, the jail services outside the facility with these other community partners and, and try to keep these treatments up. So, you know, and some of our other community partners is Centerstone. Some of them are, is our employers, Packmore. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Is yep. a huge partner of ours. Yeah, player. absolutely. Um, and, and they offer services to their, their, in, or, uh, their employees that mirror and, and is on the same mission as we are. Absolutely. Yeah. I, again, I think it's, it's, and I appreciate all that you do. I mean, I really do because it's, you know, you have somebody come in in particular, um, someone has is a substance use disorder and they've been addicted. Um, the average person listening to this has never seen someone detox. And that's a rough show. Right. That's a rough time, you know, not only for the individual, but for, uh, you all as a, as a staff and a team trying to, to manage that process, uh, what that looks like. And then when someone can finally get clear enough to be able to make a decision, uh, depending on, you know, the time that they're here, um, they go back out to an environment. If, if we as a community and I kind of the charge to the conversation today is, you know, what is the value that we have as a community? Uh, is, do we want uh, the folks who are coming in for whatever decision they've made in their life? Uh, again, that's, that's, it's a decision. Um, and you know, I think we all talk about personal accountability and things like that. So, uh, but also if, if someone, you know, really can alter their life and change their life, then what's our responsibility to that? And, you know, if they go back out to the same environment, they're going to make the same decisions. And, and I've seen over and over that, um, you know, I was raised in a two-parent household, you know, and I got out of line. Mom and dad made sure that they put me back in line uh, pretty quickly. And, you know, so, um, you know, uh, Major Rogers, you talked about that structure. It's so important. And I think there are times that for those of us, even though we all make mistakes, uh, the fact that we had some structure... We had some resiliency to overcome issues uh, and, you know, maybe some of the bumps and bruises weren't enough to set us back. You know, we move forward in our lives and there's just some people in our community that don't have some of these really important building blocks to their lives that they just can't overcome that. And what we're seeing too many times is when our deputies go out and to these homes, unfortunately, what we're seeing now is the grandparents. Right. That's right. And, and taking that responsibility and, and it's putting a burden on them being the elderly age that they are and trying to take responsibility for their kids, kids, uh, whether they be here or somewhere else or whatever the situation may be. But that's uh, more a situation that we're seeing now that that's placed on the grandparents and, and they, they unfortunately have a kind of a set their, their bar is a lot higher or a lot harder to reach because of the, that, Doing. That's right. Yeah. And the multi-generational aspect of it's really tough because if that's what you know, it's what you're going to relate to. And even if you, um, you see a different image of, you know, you should throw a picture of Hawaii on the wall and say, if you work hard, you can go to Hawaii. Right. Yeah. If the response is, I don't care about Hawaii, then you need to figure out what, how do you, you know, encourage someone to, to go to, you know, Hawaii type of a yeah. thing. So, um, you know, Rich, you said something that's really important in, and that is this idea that, um, we're, we all as a community, quote unquote, pay for them using air quotes here. But, um, I say quite a bit, whether it's at a speaking engagement or something, someone says, well, that's not my, really my problem. Well, actually it is because your tax dollars that we are paying into certain types of services. Uh, if we would, uh, from a philanthropic, maybe it's a bias side of it, but if we would look at prevention, working with youth, 
getting ahead of some of these problems or issues and being honest about what's happening in our community, that prevention side of it is going to reduce the need for other types of services. And I pay, you know, for the folks who make some decisions and end up here, um, you know, um, yeah, Major Roger, you kind of, there's a couple different numbers that people throw around, um, but there's a real cost uh, to people's decisions. And so as a society, as a civil society, I think we need to make honest conversations about how do we support the prevention side of it, support people who come out, give them resources, and allow them to become more sustainable members of society. And you mentioned prior to this, that figure of 34%. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So like you said, Ed, uh, us as a community, we all have a dog in the fight, right. to be honest. And, you know, we, we don't see it, so we don't really understand it. But the bottom line is, you know, the jail is a lot of a lot of tax money. Right. And it's an obligation to society that we can't just not have people brought to jail. Uh, but we sure can work toward helping prevent them from getting here. And, you know, and us as a community have to have to do that. And you can either treat someone the most expensive way in in society, and that is corrections, right? Uh, where really the bad guys need to be at, not not the drug addicts, not right. the not the people that we can deal with in a, another manner. Well said. But unfortunately, that's where it's went. Is right. The jail has, and it's we're the most expensive treatment center in, in in your community, right? And so when when we look at this, you know, we have roughly about thirty thousand dollars for an inmate, an okay. average inmate per year, you know, and if we can get programming and resources outside the facility, we may spend a couple thousand dollars on that person. But right. these, these folks, if we, we keep doing what we do uh, and, and keep it with a mindset that we don't have a dog in the fight as, as society and that they just make bad decisions, which is true, they do make bad decisions, but they're decisions we pay for. That's right. And, and not so much them. And so when we start, building this relationship with community partners, getting them into a different aspect of treatment. And, you know, a person may only go through a couple of years of treatment, but if it's successful, that's a person not back in jail, right? not going to the hospital for free, right? not using free resources in the community and, and probably contributing back to, right. to this versus costing the, the community as a whole. Right. And, you know, so with programming, Morgan County uh, as a whole, a few years back, we really wasn't doing real great with that. Our jail pipe, we built onto the jail and uh, added 200 extra beds. And and pretty much within a year and a half to two years, we had filled that up. Right. And we was looking at having to, to rebuild again. And uh, I, I didn't like that fact that we hadn't even paid for the current addition uh, yet. And I didn't want to see another addition built onto the facility because how how much how much do you keep adding? Right. When does it stop? Right. And so you know we we brought all of our community partners and and uh, everyone that it affects and, and can help with those decisions to the table, and you know and presented the fact of either we we add more beds or we change we we sit down figure out what systematic problems we have and fix those. And so everyone from public defenders to the judges, to the commissioners, the council, uh, the, the law enforcement agencies at that time was called to the table. And, you know, we had several meetings and we still have uh, meetings that no one probably even knows we have. Sure. But monthly we, we meet um, with public defenders and the prosecutor and, and we keep these, these systems running. 
and we identify problems before they become problems. So right. if public defenders having some sort of issue of being able to talk to their client and getting them moved through the system, we solve that. And so therefore, over the past four years, we have been able to decrease the jail population without just releasing people. Right. Uh, with our programming and with the partnerships that we have as a community, we've reduced the jail population by 34%. So you went from having almost 400 inmates down to, you know, a little over 250 on average uh, per day. And and that's a, a huge savings to the taxpayers. And, you know, our trends keep going that direction. And, and it means we're doing something right as, as a society and as our community. But it takes a whole lot of people to make that happen. Uh, and it, you know, it doesn't only start with the jail, like you said. You know, if we can tackle some of these problems prior to them getting to that point, or supporting them once they leave the jail right. to prevent them from coming back to that point, then we're money ahead. Yeah, I think the other thing that it, it shows is um, when you enable someone to make a positive choice in their life, regardless of what they have come from, the vast majority of people want to have a better life. Right. And so the more we support those positive behaviors and positive decisions, we get the outcome that we wanted. Yeah, and I think you're correct on that comment too, on the vast majority, because Unfortunately, there are people in here that need to be in here. Right. That should be in here. Right. That should stay in here. Right. Um, but again, the vast majority of people are, are have made mistakes, uh, life mistakes. Uh, and uh, hopefully with uh, what David's doing there in the back and what you guys are doing out there in the community, what we're all doing out here in the community, we can change their life around and get them on the right track to where they don't come back to this yeah. again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, it's really uh, my pleasure to be here uh, with Sheriff Rich Myers uh, and Major Rogers, uh, who's the jail commander. Take a quick break. Do you know where your charitable dollars actually go? Or have you ever asked if what you're giving to nonprofits is actually making a difference? Since the announcement of the War on Poverty, the federal government has spent nearly $20 trillion and we still have more poverty. The Community Foundation of Morgan County doesn't believe this should be the case. We use private dollars to support nonprofit organizations whose mission is to lift people out of poverty, not just sustain them. We believe in philanthropy with a measurable impact. Your charitable dollars should be an investment in something or someone with the promise of a social return on your investment. We think differently about making an impact through giving. Please join us and learn how we can increase the impact of your philanthropic dollars. Visit philanthropywithimpact.org. That's philanthropywithimpact.org, where we match your gifts dollar for dollar. Well, thanks for sticking around. Now, I would say that I probably can't leave until I get buzzed out. Well, you've got so, to change out of your orange. Well, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, I did tease you about not doing a background check before I got here, Rich. So that would be... <laughs> that, that, have orange. No, I know. <laughs> and people listen to this, all right? They're like, Rich, you had your chance. You had them in your graph and you let them go. <laughs> yeah, there's probably people down at the shop that are kind of saying, yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. If I don't make it back today, they're going to be like, this worked out in our favor. <laughs> so I didn't take a pool before I got here. Um but uh, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit um, and talk about uh, a uh, contributing factor uh, that goes into this, um, and that is this idea of mental health. And I know we, we chatted just a few minutes about it, and it certainly isn't the rosier uh, conversation, but I think it's an honest conversation that we need to have 
Uh, in particular, the community foundation is one of our, we have three crisis areas. Uh, one is K through 12 mental health, uh, K through 12 career readiness and pathways, uh, and the final is preventative rural health. So in some ways, this idea of mental health does play into the three areas of our funding. Um, as we look at, uh, there's a, a story of a, of a guy, uh, I'll make it you know as brief as possible. And, and you know, Rich, you, you mentioned that there is a reason we have to have jails. Uh, there's some really tough people in the world, uh, no matter how you shake it. Um, you know, there's got to be a place. Um, and I mean, this is a young man and, and he's, you know, when you think of somebody that you just walked to the other side of the street, it, it was pretty much that. And uh, tough to be around for for the three days we were with him. Um, never quite knew where he, where he stood. Uh, and at the end of it, he he stood up and said, look, I, I didn't at first I didn't trust you people. I didn't know why you're here. Um, I kind of checked you out for three days to see what the game was because everything's a game. Uh, you know, who's trying to angle for what? What's the power? Uh, and then he said, you know, here's my story. And, and you hear the story of his his mom was uh, mentally ill. His dad was on drugs. And then so uh, there's prison and there's different, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends. And then there's a murder in the family and the kids are split up in foster care. He ends up on the streets and you know, there's a reason that this young man is serving 18 to 20 years, you know, because of, of what has happened in his past. And again, personal responsibility being what it is. But in this mental health side is a real stigma. And I think the more now we're in 2020, the research that's coming back, whether it's ACE scores, uh, whether it's, um, you know, uh, drug prevention, PTSD, what people go through, we're now really understanding that some of the choices people make are a result of some critical mental health at an early age that lends itself to showing up in, in the jail. And so again, you know, we think of this idea of the correctional side of the legal system, you know, and you've already said, well, here's what we have to do just to get someone to be sustainable so we can work with them for their sentence. And now you're dealing with this whole new layer of mental health. How do you even tackle that? It's tough. <laughs> through the united states right. indian is not unique uh with with the mental health issue um every state you know it, the bottom line is, is is a lot of states have done away with their inpatient treatment facilities right. for long term right and 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 some of them you know some of those facilities back years ago was not you staff very well or, or ran very well. And, right. and so, you know, sometimes it led to abuse and, and those type of things. And so the, the stigma at that time was, well, that's not the way to, to handle people. And I, I would concur with that. Right. Uh, but what we done as a reaction is we shut them all down without a very good plan. Right. And, and the plan was and paper wise, it sounds great. Reality, it, it doesn't work very well. And I'll get to that here in a minute, yep. but so the, the strategy is, well, we won't put them inpatient any longer. We'll just stabilize them, get them medicated, get them on the right track, such as we would with a substance abuser, um, and and put them back out in society. And as long as they're medicated, they're perfectly fine. Right. And that's accurate. Right. Um, what we run into, though, is, again, most of these folks come from unstable environments. Right. Or environments that doesn't want to deal with the mental health issue because they don't know how to deal with it. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And so, so many of these folks start with community treatment um, and, and start medicated. And the the reality to them is 
there's nothing wrong with them. So right. their normal is our abnormal. Right. And so as long as someone's there making sure that they maintain their medications, they're fine. Right. When they don't have the person there to maintain the medications and then ensure that they're being taken properly, they fall off the wagon. Right. And because they don't think they have a problem. That's and right. They get back into their normal. That's right. Which is our abnormal. Right. And so that's where the system has felt or the thought process of this mental health system had failed is because a lot of these folks don't have that structure. Right. And so there's not someone there. And so part of that strategy, I think, has a place and, and fits. There's still a lot of folks that just it requires that inpatient long-term treatment. Right. And, you know, in, in Indiana, we don't have that available. And, and unfortunately, the jail has became that long-term facility because right. what happens is uh, and i'll use uh, we had a, a gentleman that was 18 autistic um and mom had fought with him a, a long time and had custody with him and stayed with him uh family demographics had changed for her sure uh, and it didn't work out for the new family right and so he became more violent because he wasn't adapting very well and right. so we we end up with him in jail uh due to battery on right. the person and so, you know, would he have battered a person had he had a more stable environment and it was working? Probably not. Right. But but it happened. He's in the criminal justice system. Now. Right. Probably not where he belongs. Right. Um, and, and this has been a, a few years back, so we've dealt with him and, and moved on. But uh, but it he was literally in jail for almost two years while we was trying to find a way to long term handle his issue. And this is a challenge for our court system. Right. It, it's a challenge for the correctional areas. And a lot of times these folks get put on diversion programs to, because we as the society know that jail is not the place. We try that medication situation. We right. get them stable. We put them under supervision. Uh, but that still fails from time to time. Right. Because there's just not a lot. You know, they have to have structure. And so it, it is very challenging. And I... I there's not a good solution to it. Um, this is something that's in continual discussions. Me and Rich was just at the Sheriff's Conference for Indiana Sheriff's okay. Association last week, and this was one of the hottest topics I because bet. every facility is is fighting right. with this, and, and what do we do with them, and how do we handle them? Because, honestly, jails aren't designed for long-term housing, right? and jails aren't designed for long-term housing of special needs right. and, and, tre and, yeah. and treatment. And so uh, the sad truth is a lot of jails have been forced into uh, in Indiana. We, I don't think we have any yet, but I know there's a big project in Ohio where uh, the jail wasn't building extra beds for general population, but building beds and a lot of beds to deal with their mental health issues yeah, absolutely. inside the facility. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and that's a trend that unfortunately is, you know, until the state comes up with a better solution as a whole, and when I say the state, not just the state of Indiana, right? But all of our, you know, we again, we all have a, a dog. Fight. Absolutely, we all have jails in our counties. We all have these folks in our counties, and, and we got to deal with them. They're not going away, and you know. But we look for the state because a lot of counties don't have funding uh, to to deal with that for a long term situation. Yeah. So, so it's it, it's a a tough battle. And and I, like you said, Ed, I wish I had. Uh, you know, picture perfect is we'd have a, sure. a bunch of professionally ran uh, hospitals to, to deal with these folks. That's a, a large expense. Um, it would definitely get them out of the jail and into a, a better situation. 
I don't know if that's ever reality um, or, or or what we do, or maybe we look at regional mental health facilities. Right. That's a diversion from that person that doesn't really need to go to jail, that that's just the only option. Because police officers get put in these positions when they go out to a call, and it could be a theft. It sure. could be a battery. Those sure. are common things with people with mental health. Um, and they are stuck. They have to do something. Right. Because that person can't remain in the situation that they're at. Correct. At that time. Correct. And they did commit a crime. Right. So the, the, the easiest way or the only way sometimes is to bring them to jail. And then we spend sometimes up to a year and a half trying to, to figure out what to do with the, the person. And, you know, and it, it's, it's tough. Yeah. It's, it's, the jail has become in let of in less of a um and i don't mean to speak out of turn so please less of a correctional facility uh and more of a societal um treatment, treatment. it does and, and that even goes and a lot of people give this no thought but you know when we train jail officers and i've got two in training uh now that are newly hired but the majority of our training is mental health right and and, and dealing with those kind of situations you know, used to, we used to, you know, defensive tactics right. and, you know, how to, how to control someone with restraints. Right. And, and uh, the, the sad truth is we don't do much of that anymore. Right. Uh, we are dealing with, with the irate autistic person. Right. That doesn't understand what's going on. Or right. We're dealing with, you know, the, the person that has been unmedicated and has been homeless for the past three years right and has finally committed a crime and ended up in jail that doesn't know why or what's going on right we have the ptsd military person that comes in that has meltdowns because they have been off of medications or didn't have support on the outside right so, so we are training our staff and we continually train on that uh they take monthly uh courses online uh, to keep up with new ways of handling those folks, how to, to deal with them without using force, uh, because we have to be careful with that. Right. You know, just because they're being irate isn't the same as a, an unruly inmate that's just wanting to fight with you. Right. A lot of them don't realize they're even fighting. Right. Or, you know, to coast them into a cell that they don't understand why they have to go into this locked room. Right. So, you know, the and it's transportation challenges to court. It's there's There's all kinds of challenges that come along with this. Yeah, I, I just, again, I, I appreciate that very much because I, I it really was interested for the folks who, who get to listen to this, to hear kind of this other side of this conversation that um, as a community foundation, we want the quality of life in Morgan County to to improve dramatically across every level. Um, in particular, you know, this mental health side, again, we, we're focused in, you know, we have youth first social workers in the schools that are working with young people. Um, we are seeing because of social media and a lot of other societal factors that our young people are really struggling with the ability to overcome. You know, you talk about uh, uh, regulating emotions. It's a huge issue in our young population today. And, and if you can't regulate your emotions when you're in school, then by the time you get old enough to not, and you're not, you're going to end up in jail because you're making bad choices based on your inability to regulate those emotions. And so again, I think yeah, as a community, Look, everybody has a, a part in this Absolutely. and we, we have a choice. We either as a taxpayer, wait for someone to get to jail, put the onus on you all to, to fix it, you know, uh, and then quote unquote, fix it. And then, uh, and the, the challenge of that, or we get ahead of it and say, Hey, this is important to Morgan County. Uh, this is a crisis area and we need to, to really focus on it. That you talked about the youngsters because, uh, for real call the other day, whatever deputy just called the other morning to an 11 year old 
that was refusing to go to school. Yeah. You know, with their grandparents. Yeah. So you hit the nail on the head, you know, talking about the K through 12. Yeah. The mental health side of this, because we need to nip at the bud there. Yeah. So we don't have to nip at the bud. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's, I'm glad that you guys. Because honestly, once it gets to, you know, the adult level, uh, we're just putting out fires. Very well said. Uh, unfortunately. And, you know, Morgan County, and I'm proud of Morgan County. I, I think that we, as a county as a whole, has been very progressive yeah. in, in identifying that these problems exist. And all of our leaders, uh, from the court system to the sheriff to the, the police department, everyone identifies it and, and knows it's there and is trying to deal with it. The court system, uh, Judge Gray, yep. um, started this program. But, you know, Judge Gray started a mental health diversion program. Right. Uh, so we could start working on getting uh, offenders out of jail that didn't need to be there because the mental health issue got them there. Right. And so that was more of us identifying, you know, does this person have stability? And, and is there someone out there that we can work with? Right. That can can help us take care of them. And we supervise them through probation uh, for a while to ensure that stability. So we couldn't put them back in jail if we needed to. Right. Uh, but there was an incentive. And so that program is still functional today. When Judge Foley took over Superior Court One, uh, he proceeded with that program, and that that's involving uh, the jail, the prosecutor, public defender is represented there, and and the judge. And that program works not for everyone, but again, it, it is Morgan County acknowledging we have a problem, yeah. and and we do lack uh, youth services right uh, until a, a youth ends up in the system, uh, and, and our probation department has a great youth services department they but again they're in a system and if we as uh, and i challenge morgan county as a whole and all of us you know if we can tackle these problems at a younger age before they end up in the system and, and come up with some some programming to deal with those mental health issues then we may not have to have mental health hospitals as or, or as many right we may not have to have them in the system they they could be dealt with in another manner what that looks like i don't know and, and it is always being talked about yeah and i feel eventually we'll, we'll get stability there. first is working on trying to find a location yes place some building yep. or land to get uh some stable environment for people yes. to leave here that absolutely a big huge yeah yeah foundations and and everybody and trying to the transitional side of it you know you rich you were part of the mentoring program that we ran and uh, we're now in Martinsville, Mooresville, Monrovia. So we're now in, in three of the uh, our school districts and, you know, putting a, an adult, you don't have to be perfect, you know, yeah. but you just need to be present. Makes a huge difference, you know, in the lives of our young people. So, well, um, a story yeah, that. please. I was at the Martinsville game the other night, last Friday night, and uh, one of our girls that was in our, <clears throat> excuse me, our regional mentoring program, yeah. come up and give me a hug. <laughs> she recognized me from, yeah. uh, from when I was doing that thank me for coming in there and doing that yeah yeah she was she's a cheerleader yeah yeah and you never know the difference you're going to make right. you know and so i i think uh major rogers i i kind of leave it with this you know i told you we ran out of time you know so Absolutely. it's um you know i think it is this challenge i think there's so many times in our lives as adults uh we look back and we say gosh you know if i would have made a different choice in my life or if i maybe would have done this turn left instead of turn whatever that happens to be um if we can acknowledge that that was a reality in our life, that we made changes that were good or bad, what it happens to be, we actually have an opportunity every single day to interject positivity into the lives of our young people. 
And so whether that's donating to a nonprofit organization, being a mentor with the community foundation, volunteering at any of these community organizations, you know, we don't have to look back 10 years from now and say, gosh, why didn't we solve it? We could actually start today and immediately impact and affect change in, in a positive way. So when we look back 10 years from now and say, whoa, we really made a huge difference, just like you've done, you know, with, with that percentage of 34%. So uh, I commend you both for everything that you do. I know it's 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 a tough job. Uh, we're grateful that you do it. We're grateful that you're here. So I appreciate the time. So it's, it's really been my pleasure uh, to be here with uh, Sheriff Rich Myers uh, and Major Rogers, uh, who is also the jail commander. So thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Podcast Impact, where people just like you are creating change in Morgan County. Visit cfmconline.org today to learn more about how to get involved and see the impact you can make.